Um, uh, there's Stephen Hunt. Is he doing children's worship? Are, are the kids going out to children's worship today? They are? Oh, oh my. Okay. Um, <laughs> Mr. Perry is waiting right there at the door to take you to children's worship. That means it's going to be a special day in there. So uh, in, enjoy yourselves, kids, and do what Mr. Perry tells you to do. Uh, so we've been looking at 2 Corinthians. We're up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Um, the text is printed in the bulletin and uh, also up on uh, the screens behind me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Anybody else? It's good. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said... I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion and the fear of God. Um, I, there's a, a friend that I have, and we talk uh, several times a week, and uh, our conversations are always wide-ranging and uh, about the work that we do here together at the church and just what's happening in our lives with our families and our friends. And it's, it's, we almost universally will have a conversation. She'll be talking to me, and in the middle of the conversation, she'll say, she'll, She'll be looking at me, and then she'll look away, and then she'll go, random, no transition, and then she'll tell me what she's thinking about is completely unrelated to the thing we were talking about. Something something in that conversation spurred her to think, oh, yeah, you know, you were talking about the building schedule, and it reminded me of horses, right? So, uh, so... We have that kind of conversation all the time. And I, I love those kinds of conversations because you never know where they're going to go. You never know where, where you're headed. They're, they're, uh, they're high energy conversations. Well, um, if, if, if you've been with us at all over the last a few weeks, uh, when you read this text, that seems like what's happening. Right? Because what's Paul been talking about? I can put my, put my notes in there. So today's text in context, he, he just finished in chapter 6, uh, the verses right before what I read. We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Remember, Paul has been warring against these factions of people in the church who have said he is no apostle, that his authority is false 
faults and that uh, the fact that he has disappointed them and that he suffers and, and that he struggles disqualifies him. And so there's real division and real issues within the church. And so he says, in return, I speak as the children, widen your hearts also. And then the very next verses, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And then he goes on after this section to pick back up in chapter 7, verse 2. He says, make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. So he picks right back up with his plea for them to be reconciled to him. Okay? And so right in the middle of this, you have this thing, this statement, this section that says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So uh, what, what, are, what are we to make of this? Go, go back, Mech. And one, and one thing I want to point out to you is he says there in 7.2, if we want to know what kind of what has being said about him is, he says, make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. So that's an accusation that he's wronged people, that he's, we have corrupted no one, that he's corrupted people, and that he's taken advantage of people. And so he is, he's very heartfelt in his concern to be reconciled with the church and to deal with the people in the congregation who are speaking poorly of him and casting aspersions upon his character. So why in the middle of that, as he continues that on either end of this text, would he put in a text that at first blush seems to say that what the Christian's job is to do is to have nothing to do with people in the world. Next slide. So, uh, so this, this is, this is a pretty profound, uh, thing for us to think about. Because if, if you, my expectation is that if you've been around church or Christian ministry very long at all, you typically hear this text as warning against being connected to people who are not believers. The problem with that uh, interpretation, and they're numerous, is this. If that were to be true, then you would have to disengage almost at every level from your life. How would you live in the world? Listen, if, if you think what this is saying is don't be unequally yoked with, with unbelievers, then many of you need to quit your jobs, almost all of you. Change doctors, change dentists, change lawyers, change the, the people you work with. Uh, I mean, it's, it's significant. Now, now, Bear with me in this, because the, the fact is sometimes we comfort ourselves by saying that we can cut ourselves off from the world in this way. And there's no doubt that there's plenty in the world to corrupt us, right? There's plenty in the world to tempt us, right? But, but in the context of what Paul's talking about here, he seems to be saying something a little bit different. Now let's, let's look. Let's, let's, let's look at the language that he uses. Okay. So his call for being, uh, not being unequally yoked is an interesting phrase. So his wording resembles some Old Testament words. Now this is from Leviticus and from Deuteronomy. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you've sown in the, in the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now, 
I'm sure we've meditated on that one a lot, right? <laughs> right? Like, what, what did you do your devotions in today? I did it on not plowing with an ox and a donkey together. Or you shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. So no polyester blends or any of that kind of, any of that business, right? So, so go back for a second, uh, Megan. So it says you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together, which is interesting, right? Because he's using the word yoked. Uh, if you're plowing, you've got to have a, a, a donkey and, and, and this, uh, uh, uh ox together, uh, yoked together to, to pull the plow. Now, now, why is it? Why is this? Why does he? Why, why would they say that? Well, um, practically speaking, uh, uh, an ox is gigantic, a ton or more. They're big, really big. Have you have you ever been down to to, to Colonial Williamsburg and seen those giant cows? That's what you probably think they were pulling those wagons. They're oxen. They're big. And donkeys are not that big. So if you've got a ox and a donkey pulling your plow, you're just going to go in a circle. <laughs> because one is so much bigger than the other. You're, ne- you're never going to get anywhere. It's just, it's just not going to work. So, so when, when Paul is using this language, he's saying that, that, that those of us, when we are yoked together for a purpose, that we are tied together, belonging to one another and to our Lord, then within that yoking, we have to be careful that we're not unequally yoked together. Next slide, please, Megan. So, so to illustrate this and to get at this, he asks five questions. He says, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And Belial is a, is another word, uh, for our adversary, for the devil. Uh, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of the living God with idols? No, next slide. So, so what you have to see here is, uh, what he's getting at. So his admonition is not a general statement against association with unbelievers or pagan idolaters. It is against his adversaries in Corinth in the church. Now go back, Megan. Let me show, show you what I'm talking about. Because here's the thing. Notice the language that he uses. The way we tend to think about the way this works is, and the way we, we, we typically interp- interpret this, is that what we want to be in a situation where the world will corrupt us, and therefore we need to separate ourselves from the world. The problem is, what Paul is recognizing is, is that we are yoked to Jesus Christ, and therefore we are yoked to one another. If you do a study in the New Testament of the word yoked, it almost always referred to, refers to people gathered together, united to Christ in ministry and in work together. So he uses relational language to talk about this. He says, what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of the living God with idols? So this is relational language. This is about who you are joined to, who you belong to, who belongs to you. And so, so that is, that is why he keeps asking these, these, these five questions, which are fairly repetitive, but get at 
Who is it you belong to? Who is it you're tied to? So next next slide, please. So because the fact is what is happening is people in the church uh, have have uh, undermined Paul's authority. They've undermined the gospel and they've sown discord and disunity in the congregation. And as a result, they are disturbed. Paul is disturbed and his ability and the people's ability to hear the gospel from him is being thwarted. Now, just to, to help you understand that he's not saying the impossible thing that we all need to withdraw completely from the world. He's already written in First Corinthians five, nine. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Those are and as you'll see. Sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Go back, Megan, back, back. The slide up. Yeah. So so let's think about this for a second. What he's getting at here is that within the congregation, within the church, within within the 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 yoke fellowship that we have with one another in Jesus Christ, we need to be very careful because the church belongs to Jesus. It is purchased with his blood and that what God is doing in the church is something profound by not only reconciling men and women and boys and girls to himself, but to one another, and therefore building a community, a veritable temple that bears witness to and belongs to this God who redeemed us. And so what happens is that when in the church we uh, tolerate division, gossip, slander, greed, sexual immorality, idolatry, drunkenness, reviling, then what is happening here is we're doing what Paul is addressing in this text. We are acting as if light has fellowship with darkness. Now, let me be clear about this. There is, uh, there's no one in this room who is not guilty of one of, at least one of these things. You may think, well, well, greed, that's pretty universal. Idolatry, I know some of you are idolaters because I've been with you at your kids' ball games, and I can tell you, you idolize their success. Revilers, all of us have spoken poorly at one time or another of one another. Right? Oh, and he goes on to talk about swindlers. Swindlers, yeah. Um, so, so what are we to, what are we to make of this? Um, honestly, you know, I I, I think I, I I wouldn't know how to live in the world if uh, if I had to cut myself off from all of these people outside in the world. So, what he's getting at is within the church. We need to be very careful about what we tolerate and what we act as if it's okay. 
Now, now the thing about it is, since every one of us is guilty of this, then does this mean that the church is done away with? Not at all. What he's getting at is, is that within the congregation, one of the ways that we determine light from darkness, one of the ways we determine that our fellowship is with Christ is that we are quick to repent. That one of the ways the church deals with this is, is that when sexual immorality or drunkenness or reviling or swindling or those sorts of things come to light, we call on one another and we hold one another accountable in the name of Jesus Christ because we are a covenant community, because we belong to one another to repent of those things. What's happening in Corinth is there is a group of people who are dead set against Paul, dead set against his gospel, dead set against his ministry, and they are continuing to cast aspersions upon his character and upon what he preaches. Remember, he's taken advantage of no one. Remember, he hasn't corrupted anyone. I mean, those those things are, are accusations that are being lobbed against him. And so he's saying within the church, we can't allow that. We can't we can't tolerate that. Right. Next slide. Um, now, one of the things that you have to, if you've been around church any time at all, we typically see this text addressed to single people in their choice of spouse. And obviously I'm making a case that this is, is, is not necessarily about that. If you want to, if you want to read about this, there's a great article. There's the link to it. Uh, don't take it from me, Reasons You Should Not Marry an Unbeliever by uh, Kathy Keller. Uh, it's a great little article, and it's one, uh, um, uh, it, it's one worth uh, 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 reading. So the key to understanding these texts has to do with our understanding of one, where one acquires their identity. Because the fact is, our identity is bound up in Jesus. And why is it bound up in Jesus? Because he chose us, he He set his love upon us, he tied himself to us, as this text says, that, that we are his people and he is our God. And as a result of that, that identification with him changes our identity. But not only that, our identity not only is bound up in Jesus, but it is bound up in the community that Jesus is building one stone at a time, one person at a time, the church, the very temple of the living God here on earth. And so what happens here is, is that what Paul is getting at is when, when we live unrepentant lifestyles and when we, when we, uh, tolerate that, we are holding in, uh, uh we're, we're, we're unequally yoked because we're saying we're believers and yet by our gossip or our slander or our behavior, we're saying that actually our identity is somewhere else. So participation in salvation is not merely a matter of morality, but it is a matter of personal relationships. So with whom are you yoked? We are yoked in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and we are yoked in fellowship with one another. And that yoking, that that putting together of us with Christ and with one another came at the cost of the very blood and life of Jesus Christ for us. And so that's why this is such a, 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 a kind of a stark thing that Paul says in this text. Next slide. So he reinforces this with this lengthy compilation of some 
Old Testament quotations, right? Of, of that, uh, he'll make his dwelling among us. He'll be our God. He'll walk among us. Go out from their midst. Touch no unclean thing. They may welcome you. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. In other words, what he's getting at there, all of that language is relational. It is about our identity is bound up in, in who our heavenly father is. Our identity is built up in who our brothers and sisters are. So the fulfillment of the promise that we have become God's people and he has become our God is in view here. So God is building a community that exists in covenant relationship with himself and among the members. And that's an important thing for us to understand. And that is the, the thrust of what's going here. And when we gossip about one another, revile one another, or behave in a way, and, and continue in that behavior in an unrepentant way, we put the lie to this. Now, here's, here's a great, uh, this is an extended quotation that I think will help you understand this. Okay, so Tim Keller notes in his book on marriage that a covenant creates a particular kind of bond, a relationship far more intimate and personal than a merely legal business relationship. Yet at the same time, it is far more durable, binding, and unconditional than one based on mere feeling and affection. And I I think this sentence is great. A covenant relationship is a stunning, stunning blend of law, my commitment, the fact that I'm tied, that I belong to you, and love, the warmth and the joy that flows from that. So when the Bible speaks about the church, it refers to it as a covenant community. Church members aren't just part of a shared interest group. You're not, you're not just, you know, when you, when you're a part of a church, you're not part of, you know, Hokies for Jesus or Cavaliers for the Lord or, uh, you know, something, something silly like that. It's more than that. They're covenanted to one another by a sacred promise to oversee one another's membership in the kingdom and faithfulness to King Jesus. The New Testament unfolds the details of that sacred promise. We regularly gather together, as as Richard reminded the, the second graders, right? We bear one another's burdens and sorrows. We encourage one another. We pray for one another. And yes, we forgive one another. Many churches helpfully formalize these biblical instructions into a church covenant, a set of promises members make to one another when they enter into membership. We did that at 9 o'clock with a group of folks who stood before the church and took those, uh, took those vows. These covenant obligations are the foundations of our church commitment and should function as the backbone to church life. And this is important. And this... This, this is going to, let me warn you before I read this next sentence, it will make no sense to us at first blush. Covenant precedes community. We might even say covenant creates community. The covenant promises members make to one another blossom into the life-giving relationships our hearts crave. Rooting commitment in our covenant promises doesn't mean that church relationships are nothing but soulless duty. i got to put up with these people because they go to my church. Instead, covenant commitments are the food that nourishes our relationships with other members. The more we hold ourselves to our covenant promises, the more our relationships blossom and endure through seasons of difficulty. 
And he cites this article, uh, perceptively notes in his article, compatibility is an, achie- is, is an achievement of love. It must not be a precondition. Now, which is great news, because when I got married, uh, I was not compatible with my wife. I wasn't compatible with anybody, really. <laughs> I was pretty uncivilized, frankly, right? And so, but did that keep her from loving me or keep her from entering into a covenant with me, right? The world argues that affection is a prerequisite to commitment, but the biblical picture is actually quite the opposite. Commitment and service create affection. I'm amazed at how this principle works out even in my own life. A few years ago, after a couple in our church had a baby, my wife and I signed up through the church's member care ministry to bring them a meal. Our act of service, however, wasn't rooted in a pre-existing relationship with this couple. In fact, we barely knew them. We simply wanted to be faithful to our covenant promises to bear one another's burdens. Yet that service, rooted in our covenant commitment, ultimately blossomed into a sweet friendship between our two families. We weren't expecting a relationship to bloom, uh, which, by the way, that's, that's a secret to this too, expectations, right? Uh, but that's what happens when you hold yourself to covenant promises, even with people you barely know. My dad is 87 years old. Uh, he walks every day, uh, two miles a day, around his little town. Um, he noticed a couple of months ago while he was walking that the police stopped him twice in a week and asked him his name. And the reason for this is there was an 85-year-old man who was missing, who was a walker. And they, you know, he fit my dad's description and they thought maybe it was him. Well, come to find out that uh, this man had actually been murdered They found his body under a bridge. Well, a man who my dad did not know, who worships at the same church with him, has watched my dad go through the grief of losing his wife and uh, the decline of old age these last few years. And he had seen my dad around town walking, and he decided he's a much younger man. He's 78. (laughs) that he would walk with my dad. And so he walks with my dad. They barely know each other. On Monday, my dad had surgery at 5 o'clock in the morning. Of course, 5 o'clock in the morning. And guess who sat with me in the waiting room? His walking buddy. Right? They barely know each other. Just, he sees him, he's a part of my community, and I uh, am tied to him in Jesus Christ, and so I'll do this. Covenant precedes community. And in fact, that's the way the gospel works over and over and over again. It is the love of Christ 
that comes to us that changes our orientation. It is the sacrifice, the atoning work that Jesus has made out of love to us, unilaterally coming our way, that changes our relationship and moves our identity into a covenant uh, a, a, a covenant body with this one who died for us. And therefore it binds us together. And because we are bound together in blood, we dare not trifle by reviling and gossiping and being unrepentant in the way in which we carry on our lives. Because what it begins to look like then is that in name only are we willing to be identified with Christ and his church, but in our words and in our behavior, we're doing something else. Next slide. So the issue here then is how we relate to one another within the community. And so the question that this text that Paul is asking the church there in Corinth is, do you want to resemble your creator and redeemer or do you want to resemble your adversary? You see, that's that's the whole point of this series of questions that he asks in the text. Because we're light, we shouldn't act like darkness. Because we have righteousness, we shouldn't act like unrighteousness. Because we belong by sacrifice to the living God, we, we shouldn't fall back again and again and again to, to idolatry. You see, that's, that's the thing there. And so this is not calling on us to live perfect lifestyles. It's calling on us to see ourselves for who we are, to be faithful to, to uh, the fact that Jesus has loved us and cared for us, and he has placed us in a covenant community with one another where we have the opportunity to be invested in the work that Jesus is doing, not just in myself, but in my brothers and sisters, even in people who are my brothers and sisters that I don't even know. And so so here's the thing. Here's the thing. As you think about the work that Jesus is doing in your life and the work that he is doing in and through you in this particular community, what do you want that to look like? Do we pray and crave that Jesus would make us look more like him? Or do we simply fall back to, as these people in Corinth are doing, you know, that guy is a corrupter, that guy is a user. Um, you know, my, my lifestyle doesn't matter. Um, I can live in any way I want and still say I'm a Christian. I belong to this church. And these people, as lame as they are, belong to me. It's a good challenge for us today to to take and to consider uh, exactly the nature of what it means that we that we have covenant blessings in Jesus Christ. And we have covenant blessings and obligations in the way in which we love and care for each other. Let's pray. Lord, we need a sense of this this morning. I thank you that um, you have um, challenged uh in many ways, the way we think about and the way we talk about one another, the way we think about our lifestyles and the way we think about our identity. I pray that you would, um, well, pray that you would help us. Lord, we, um, this, the, the fact that uh, the, the love of the covenant precedes, uh, 
our compatibility and the warmth that we experience with one another. I pray that um, you would use the fact, Jesus, that when we were your enemies, you loved us. When we were far uh, uh, from you, you moved towards us. I pray that that would inform the way we think and talk and care for one another. Lord, I pray that you would build uh, a community uh, of people here who are uh, purchased by the blood of Christ, being built into the very temple of the living God, living as brothers and sisters with one another because of you, Jesus. Would you do that work among us? Would you bear witness to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and the gospel and the lives of people like us by building a kind of community that sees covenant, that obligation as preceding any kind of warmth, really, any kind of great relationship, and that you would line our expectations up and line our understanding up with the cross, with your work, and with what you're doing in and amongst us. Lord, this is challenging to us. Uh, it is, in some ways, maybe to some folks, alarming. Um, but how great it is to be a part of what you're doing and the building that you're building in this world. So help us. And bless us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.